Hey, it's Sarah and Kristen. Welcome back to another episode of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. We're so excited to have you here for our first interview of our Into the Wee Hours podcast. Somewhat unexpectedly and with so much gratitude, our first interview we get to present to you is with Crystal Wright, who is a world-famous adventure photographer and director. So in our intro, we did mention that we want to elevate the voice of the everyday adventurer, and we certainly jumped in deep with this one. Crystal shares some of her amazing and at times difficult life experiences, and we really did want to chat to her about being Crystal Wright, the adventurer. We also got to talk to her about her upcoming adventure to the Kimberley, solo adventuring as well as team dynamics and when to pull the plug, risks and how she manages them on her adventures as she gains more experience, resetting during COVID and the overall highs and lows of being a high profile adventurer. Crystal was super honest and open and there is a bit of a language warning on this one. We hope this gives you a great insight into someone who's truly been living a full adventure lifestyle like Crystal. Cue the intro music with our very own Kristen Vorton. Into the wee hours podcast featuring Sarah and Kristen. I'm a roll up my sleeping bag. Is it cool skies? I'm wishing. Sipping on noon and wine. I'm just feeling so fine. It's after 5pm. Babe, I'm about to have a good time. Run, bike, hike. Welcome to episode three of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. My name is Sarah Pendergrass and I am here with my beautiful co-host Kristen Vorton. Today we are joined by a very special guest. Her name is Crystal Wright. She is, if you don't already know, a world-class photographer and director and we are stoked to have her here today. Thank you for joining us, Crystal. Oh, thanks. So we'll have a bit of discussion about how you came to be here. For me, this was like, whoa, we get to interview Crystal Wright, fangirl moment. For Kristen here, you're actually friends. So um, Kristen knows a lot about you. I know a lot about your professional career from Googling you and from obviously following you and your photography, which I do adore. Um, but maybe you can start with a bit of origin story, like how, what, tell me about yourself. Well, I grew up here on the Sunshine Coast and grew up in Yidlow. So the funny thing is most locals tend to not even know where Yidlow is. But it's, you know, it's one of those hidden gems on the other side of the highway. Uh, But I would say probably like most growing up on the coast, just lived a very outdoorsy lifestyle and tried to do as much as I could growing up. And I guess the adventure... I can never really pinpoint why I was so attracted to adventure because like, we would go on camping trips to Double Island, uh, a couple like East Coast road trips growing up. And then I just remember getting out of school and I always was fascinated with rock climbing. And I used to be a bit of a mountain biker until I knocked out all my teeth. So that sport's uh, scratched for me. It's just on the back burner for the moment. Yeah, I don't need to get back in that sport. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I went to university. I mean, originally the, the path I was going down was I wanted to be a sports photographer. So I moved to Sydney, ran the sidelines, got that fix of, you know, being there at the Bledisloe Cup or State of Origin. 
And when I first did that, there was that rush because you got to be a part of this big, big act, really. And I thought, oh, my God, could I go to the World uh, Rugby Cup or the Olympics or all these massive things? But unfortunately, within four years, I became so jaded. And I got the time. What? Um, by the time I left Sydney, I was 23 or 24. And I'm already speaking about being incredibly jaded and cynical. And I was like, come on, I barely started my career. But unfortunately for me, uh, to wrap up, like I don't want to get too stuck in career talk, but uh, that was the original path and that changed drastically in the last, well, 15 years now. And I just thought, you know, I don't want to stay in a career because I looked at other photographers who had stayed in it for 30 years and I could just see how miserable they became. And I just thought, I don't want that. And uh, through an opportunity, well, actually, <laughs> first thing that happened was it was a chain reaction. So I took off to Pakistan uh, and some guys that I met through my travels were like, yeah, hey, we want to go break the world altitude record. And, of course, I'm like, Yes, I want to go to Pakistan. Uh, unfortunately, at the end of that trip, I was in a pretty serious accident. Uh, we had crashed uh, just trying to take off, and I had ended up in hospital and had multiple injuries. And when I came back to Sydney, I remember, gosh, there was such this vivid moment. The guy that I was dating at the time, we'd been together for about four years, I think. And I remember sitting there at the airport to paint this picture for you, like I was, they used a wheelchair to push me around because I had a fractured foot and it was just easier. Um, I could still hop around crutches. But anyways, they pushed me out in a wheelchair. I've got a red eyeball, stitches in my head. I've got bone bruising in my left hip, tendon damage in my left elbow and shoulder. So I'm pretty beaten up. And they pushed me out into the foyer and I'm just sitting there. And, and I saw him come in and I just sat there and all I could think was, please don't find me. Like, that's how bad our relationship had gotten. Like, I just was – I didn't want to come home. We weren't in a very good place. And I was still dreaming of Pakistan. I was like, oh, I just want to go back. I don't want to be here. And that accident became such a catalyst where I was like, right, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. I don't want to be living in Sydney. I don't want to be working for the paper. But it still took me about five months to figure my shit out. And because nothing's – from an outside perspective, all my friends were like, oh, come on, Crystal, it was so obvious. I'm like, I know, but when you're in it, it is so hard to see clear and get to the other side. And, yeah, when I did get to that other side, then, yeah, I took off and, gosh, for the next, what, 10 years, I just lived a life on the road. Incredible. I don't give short answers. No, it's okay. <laughs> I didn't real was Pakistan, like, your first real big adventure, like, in terms of a gig, I guess you could say, that? of something that took you no it was it was I would say my first serious expedition was going to the Arctic uh that was when I was 23 so the year prior to Pakistan so 2010 mm. and I had been photographing base jumpers in Sydney going out to the Blue Mountains and I'd hit this point where I felt like I'd shot every base jump possible in the Blue Mountains and I just thought okay I want something more like I need I, and of course at that age you just want to see the world and when one of my friends uh, said to me, well, yeah, there's this base jump in Tasmania. It's quite an epic adventure. And I was like, yes, like, oh, my God, I want to go to Tassie so bad. And the problem is when someone tells me an idea, I'm like a dog with a bone. And I will just <laughs> stick with it. And I kept pestering. I was like, well, come on. Like, when are we going to plan this trip? When are we going to do it? And finally, he just cracks the shits. He's like, oh, come on, Crystal. Like, 
uh, just let it rest because it's been going on for months. And I was like, come on, Tazzy, Tazzy, Tazzy. And funnily enough, <laughs> he's like, oh, Crystal, you know, my knee's screwed. Like, if you know, it's a six-day hike in and it's all this. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he sort of turns around and goes, well, I am going back to the Arctic uh, for this big base jump expedition. Do you want to come along? <laughs> so then I was like, well, yeah, that's even better. Uh, and so, yeah, I sort of, well, it's not just diving, diving into the deep end of the pool. I jumped in the ocean on that one. I had no mountaineering experience. I saved up every dollar possible. And gosh, yeah, I just flew to the other side of the world and went to the Arctic. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you do like all these different kinds of things. And it's probably fair to say you're like a jack of all trades master at one photography, you know? <laughs> How do you like? How do you get the confidence to just be able to stand at top of the mountain, going like, "Holy shit, this is a really steep hill to ski down." Like I, you know, you I know that you've been skiing, so that's probably a bad example. <laughs> but you know, you don't have any um, experience to go to be in the Arctic. Like, how do you manage all of that? Just fly by the seat of your pants. <laughs> yeah, I kind of knew that answer because that's who you are. <laughs> so often, I mean, planning is good. But sometimes it just gets to a point where you're like, I'm just going to go. And I had friends scold me over that trip. They were like, holy shit, Crystal, you really should have got more experience under your belt. But at the same time, I was surrounded by quite a – well, there were other base jumpers that had no mountaineering experience. So we were a rogue group for sure. Um, But I think at some point with these trips, uh, you sort of think, okay, well, I want to – uh, I don't know, like I want to travel to the other side of the world and go ocean swimming or I want to go hike up this mountain. And there's sometimes there's only so much you can do beforehand. Sometimes you do need to throw yourself in the deep end. I think the challenge becomes is when do you know when to turn around or when to step away from that trip? And that's probably been my hardest lesson. I think when I was younger, I definitely was, uh, I fell into that trap of thinking I was invincible and a lot of the time, like I've been hurt plenty of times. My God, I've got scars and uh, everywhere on my body and that was fine, but I've always bounced back. It wasn't until Pakistan that I finally got dealt a very lucky hand because that could have easily ended up far worse. Uh, I mean, yeah, if like any accident, like I, I hate the what if scenario sometimes because it's like, well, no, there's no what if that happened. I got given a lesson and I chose to that and I could learn from that. And so I definitely respect the situation. But, yeah, I definitely realised, oh, I'm not invincible. That was so quick. Like within 10 seconds it all just went wrong. Uh, from 10, sorry, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> 10 seconds from like standing there, launching the paraglider with my tandem pilot, and within 10 seconds I was blacked out for five minutes. So it's amazing how quick that can change. But I honestly felt that I needed that because after that, and it still took me a little while to learn, to be honest. Like, I, I'm still very fucking stubborn. There's no way to tone that sentence down. Like, that's just <laughs> who I am. And there was an expedition where we were kayaking uh, from Mongolia to Russia on the Amur River. And even on that expedition, I was a bit of a pain because I was someone who couldn't let go of the idea. Like we, we got to the, like towards the end of the expedition and when we began it, we had set out to be like, we're going to be here for three months. And all of a sudden it got shortened down for two months. So mentally I was like, no, no, I want to be here for three months. And then uh, the girls were like, no, nah, we, we need to pull the pin at this town. We'll just get a ferry to the end of the river. And for me I was like, no, that's sacrificing like um, 
or it's not seen true to our original goal. Uh, so, And is your original goal always about getting a shot or is this a goal, like an adventure-focused goal that, that you're talking adventure, about? That was an adventure-focused goal. It was definitely like I was in love with the idea of like paddling the whole river. And obviously they had a different gut instinct to me. Mm-hmm. And like a week later, the worst flooding in, oh gosh, what was it, 70 years hit the region. And this is a river that had no mountains on the banks. Basically, once that river came up, even like a metre or two, uh, and of course the river, as it got towards the delta, it just would naturally get bigger. So ships would come up this river. And so the delta originally is like 12 kilometres wide. And with this flooding, it became like 50 kilometres wide. Like it just... And so then I'm like, oh, wow, you guys obviously were in tune with something else that I was very tunnel vision of like, no, this is what we have to do. But I have to say like adventures after that, I've definitely learned to walk away. And it's a really, really simple question. And and I guess people think, oh, that's cliche, but it's helped me. As one friend said, he's like, you've got to stand there and ask yourself, am I having fun? And you might think, oh, well, come on, that's easy. And it's like, no. I stood there in Alaska on a ski expedition. It was day nine, and I had to say, am I having fun? And the answer was no. I was miserable on this trip. Things were, you know, we had horrendous ski conditions. Uh, We were just struggling to get anything out of this. I had a torn MCL. It was just, and the team wasn't quite gelling right. And that was the first time I ever spoke up against a team where I was like, I don't want to be here. I want to go home. And... It takes a lot of sorry to interrupt you, but it takes a lot of strength. And also because I think as Kristen, you and I both know, like I'm a big fan of type two fun, right? So it's that thing of, well, this is hell right now, but you know, maybe my ego is saying, No, just keep going because I said I was gonna complete this mission, or just keep going because it's gonna get better. So it takes a lot to be able to have the experience to stand back and say, right, you know what? This is not right for me right now. And how did the how did your team respond to that? Well, one other agreed with me. She was in the same boat. She's like, "Yeah, I'm. I don't think I'm having fun either." And the two others were completely against it because they were definitely, and I could see it so clearly then. And that's how I've been in the past. Like, oh, we've got these sponsors. There's these expectations. We need to meet them. We can't let people down. But uh, Sheldon, she was like, "Nope, we're leaving. We're packing up. We called the guy. We left the next day." And it turns out uh, one of the other ladies, uh, as soon as we got back to Anchorage, uh, she ended up, um, she started vomiting the next morning. We thought, okay, food poisoning. Okay, come on, toughen up, it's fine. But it turns out to be kidney stones. So she had to get to the hospital. And then again, it's like, huh, it's funny, like the gut instinct. Like you can never reason with it or understand. Because of course I would say, oh, come on, Crystal, you're just being a sook. Like toughen up. Like it's only a few more days. But no, you know when you're not having fun and it's okay to walk away. It 100% is, but it is definitely easier said than done for a lot of people, I feel. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Well, you think, I just, well, I'm Australian and I just flew to Alaska, so already that's a long way. And uh, there was help from sponsors, so I didn't have too much of a financial commitment. But even so, like, I still take that very seriously. I don't want to waste someone else's money. Uh, and then you think, well, am I ever going to come back here again? There's definitely that thought Mm. and that's a dangerous one and at the end of the day for me I've realized it doesn't matter how much money time travel that I've invested the situation will dictate whether yeah it's it's going to be a trip that's going to be amazing it works out and if it doesn't well that's really not the worst of my problems 
Well, it comes back to knowing your why as well, I think. Mm. And on a completely non-celebrity, non-sponsored level, <laughs> um, I was in Tassie <laughs> over Christmas. I was in my van for a month living there. And um, I planned to hike the Frexinea Peninsula hike. And normally when I'm fitter, I'd be like, I'm just going to run this whole thing. But I was like, no, that's okay. I'm not fit at the moment. I'm just going to fast pack it. It was over Christmas. So I was on my own on Christmas Day on this beautiful beach. There was no one else at the campsite. And the next day I had the majority of the hike to do. And I told people I was doing this. And I just sat on the beach and was like, you know what? I don't actually feel like hiking all this way on Christmas Day on my own. (laughs) And I had to really sit there with myself and think, okay, why would I do this? Am I doing this because, well, I've told my Instagram stories that I'm going to do this and there's this perception that, you know, I'm going to complete my adventure or am I actually just going to be honest with myself and accept I'm having a great time, this is beautiful, but I can cut back half the distance, still see Wine Glass Bay, get back to my van and open a bottle of wine. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the funny thing about that perception is that we tell our stories, well, I know I've done it before, I'll tell myself a story in my head of like everyone's watching this, they're they're expecting me. At the end of the day, it's like I was the only one expecting to do that. That is exactly it and I laugh with friends about this all the time because it's like Sarah, no one really gives a shit what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true. And it's like, so just be honest with yourself. Do what brings you fun. You know, is it going to be fun to do this? Awesome. Why else are you doing it if it's not fun, really? But do you feel the pressure because like we would be on solo stuff or, you know, smaller teams and you have expectations as well sometimes to fulfill or you're on a team that people are also relying on you. So how do you manage the team aspect in those adventure type scenarios? Because it's easy to manage yourself, right? Mm -hmm. If you're like, cool, I'm out. Like, that's all that it is. Or if you want to push further and harder, awesome. I'm feeling good. I don't have anybody holding me back. So how do you manage working in a team for your adventures and stuff? It's gotten, I like like to think as I've gotten older, it's gotten easier. Are you the leader or the follower? Or a bit of both? Like, they're extreme. Extreme, yeah. Ends of it, I'm sure there's a bit of collaboration overall. The toughest thing, and I still don't nail this, is that when you are building a team for an expedition or a trip, you just never know what these people are going to be like in the wild, and especially in stressful situations. Sometimes I appreciate those stressful situations because you really do reveal someone's true character. And But if it's a serious one, you're like, oh, really, you're losing your shit now? Like, you got to stay calm. So over my career, I'd say there's definitely a handful of people I know I could call in a heartbeat and I would trust them with my life and I know I could be out there and and have a good time with them in the wild. And that doesn't necessarily say, like, we're always going to get along, but I know I can have honest conversations with them. Uh, It's funny when I began because I used to be the baby of the group. I was always the youngest by a long shot. And then it was a very small period where I was like, we're also a similar age. And then all of a sudden I became the eldest person. I was like... (laughs) Wait a minute, when did that happen? (laughs) And I know that even like post-COVID times when perhaps these expeditions and trips would sort of come back more frequent in my life, I do know that I'm still going to be susceptible to situations where I'm going to travel into the wild with someone. I may not know them 100%. I mean, I'm I'm never going to know someone 100% because, again, there's one particular friend who – uh, how do I put this without revealing <laughs> Put it this way. I've done an expedition with this person 
We've always been friends. And there was a situation where I broke my ankle in Jackson Hole on a shoot. And this person just did not handle it at all. Like, it's very frustrating. I was the one with the bloody broken ankle. And basically the group and I decided we told this person, leave us. Ski down the mountain. You need to go because you're not helping us at all. And I just said to the, like I said to them, I was like, could you imagine if this had happened, like if we were remote on a proper expedition? I was like, I don't want to be in that scenario with that person because they obviously cannot handle a stressful situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is tough because yeah, others have they bring in their expectations, and the problem is as a photographer, yeah, I am that person who's going to help them. You know, if they're a sponsored athlete, I'm the one that's going to help them get published or make their sponsors happy and. So sometimes there is that pressure that will sort of spill over onto me. But I don't know, the older you get, you're like, yeah, I don't know. I, I care less in a way. Well, I don't let myself get so worked up. Uh, I've just learned to relax and go with it a lot more. But in the past, I've definitely like, okay, I need to get 10 shots with this sponsor. I need to get five shots with this sponsor. I need to do this. And I've learned to let that go a lot. And it's not been easy. And I'm sure 2020 – helped with that as well yes yes so you have not been doing as much travel as you were previously doing and I know speaking to you just as a friend you would come home for maybe a week or two at the most and we'd catch up usually in between waves of like body surfing and things and you were just always so tired so has 2020 been a bit of a reset for you and you can finally just relax and there's not the pressure to get the next shot do the next thing plan the next trip has it been refreshing for you yeah it's been refreshing have or, you been bored yeah, no i have not been bored good That's well i don't know good no it's 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 interesting because i think prior to the pandemic a lot of us were just caught up in momentum and I, with my career, I definitely, as a freelancer, you're taught to say yes to everything. Don't say no. And, I mean, you can always say no later, but you don't. You go, no, nah, I'm going to make this work. And 2019 was just utter insane. And I remember asking myself multiple times throughout the year, of like, why am I even in this country? I couldn't even figure out why I was there, but I was just so used to – it was almost like an international flight, almost, almost weekly. It was just – and I was hating it. Like, there was some great moments for sure. Like, I definitely had some fun. But I was definitely like, I don't know how to change this. I didn't know how to get off this, I guess, a rat wheel that I put myself on. And I was definitely burned out. That one friend was like, Chrisley, you weren't just burned out. You've been burned out for about three years. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so what? it wasn't the pandemic that stopped me. It was I had an ovarian cyst. And again, <laughs> oh, this is how stupid I can be. So <laughs> first thing that happens, it's like May 2019. And I would always take myself when I come home yearly, I'll always go do my checkups, just do everything. And for whatever reason, they're like, you should go get an ultrasound done. I think something with my kidneys or something, they're like, oh, it looks a bit odd. And there was nothing. But I get a phone call. I'm at the pub a couple of days later. And Friday night, and I get a call from my doctor, and she's like, "We found a lump. You, I know you're going overseas, so I had to call you. So you need like I was going to Sydney for a couple of days, and then I was going to head off to the states to go storm chasing. And she's like, "Right, we need you to go get a um, 
it wasn't an MRI or something else. Anyways, did it in Sydney. So I do that. And, of course, I'm like, all, all she said was a lump. So you're like, what does this yeah, mean? The worst like, case scenario. And I find out, I go through all this crazy stress in Sydney. And, anyways, I find out it's not cancer. So I'm like, great. So I was like, well, what does this mean? She's like, well, you know, just come in for a non-urgent checkup. And I was like, cool. All right, I guess I'll go to the States. So I'll go off and I'm storm chasing. And and then i pretty that's, sure. That's really taking non-urgent pretty yeah. seriously. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Well, they didn't tell me how big it was or anything. I just knew there was like a non-cancerous lump. I was like, oh, okay. And so I come home and, again, it's one of my – I came home for 10 days maybe, not even that. And I finally get into the doctor's like the day before I'm leaving for Europe. And she's like – yeah, we need to do more tests. And I was like, I'm going to Europe tomorrow. <laughs> so she's like, oh, God, okay, well, when you get back, we need you to do this and this. And so I take off to Europe, I come back. Um, and it actually strangely did work out in my favour because so when they originally found it, the cyst was at about five centimetres. And at that size, they are like, look, let's leave it for a while because if it shrinks, we don't need to operate. If it gets bigger, we need to operate. So by the time it gets to September and we're doing some more scans, they're like, yeah, it's getting bigger. So I was like, hmm, what does this mean? And so finally I was like, yeah, definitely need surgery. And then I was like, look, I know this is going to be a serious recovery time. And being a freelancer, I was like, I have all these jobs booked up. And I was like, how about December 13th? Because I'd just get home from Portugal. I didn't want to miss out on this gig. And the doctor was like, look, I'm not 100% with this. But she's like, look. I'll accept it, but you cannot delay any further. So I'm like, great. So I pushed it. And by then, like, the cyst had grown to 10 by 12 centimetres. And not that I – I don't think I really ever felt it, but I know the last few days before the surgery, I was not feeling okay. I'm like – but if I didn't know it was there, I would have just told myself, you're just jet lag, you're just tired. Um you're just, yeah, again, like getting all these other excuses. So finally when I did get home, yeah, went into surgery and I was forced to stop for two months. And after the two months, I definitely felt this bit of, okay, well, I know I need to restructure my career. I, I can't keep doing what I was doing. I was definitely aware of that. And I took off on this road trip to Sydney and I was really lost. I was like, I need to find more work home because I, I love Australia and I want to be here more. But again, I was like, I don't know what's going on, what's working. And, and I still felt erratic and uh, I wasn't grounded. And then the pandemic happened. Like I had booked a job to Alaska um, with Red Bull. It was an amazing deal. So again, I was like, I think had the pandemic not happened, I would have just gone back into what I know. Yep. And so the pandemic, I would say it took me a while to readjust. It was definitely like a, I started doing like Pilates and started to actually take care of myself, which really helped. Mm -hmm. Had I not done that, yeah, I was going a bit like, what do I do? Like, and so the biggest moral like well, that I got to take away from this pandemic was, it's funny that when you travel, you think life's busy, and you th and I definitely had assumed, oh, if I'm home, I'm going to be bored. There's going to be too much time. I have been so, I think I've been more busy. Um, had I, yeah, if I were traveling, and that's because I'm actually taking care of myself. I address some pretty big life issues. Uh, a lot of things I'd just been put, uh, putting off for a long time and then the pandemic just revealed all this stuff that I never dealt with. So it's I've needed the past, what, 18 months to actually, yeah, go through it all. Incredible. I think for so many people it has forced that slowdown and for me my hope is that 
like you talk about maybe discovering Pilates. I'm very interested in like meditation, breath work. I started doing a lot of yoga during our like very small kind of lockdown period. And for me, the challenge is keeping that in my life as life is getting busier. And how do you feel about that? I mean, I I imagine you're still keen to get traveling. I'm not sure what your next adventure is, but do you see yourself being able to still maintain that and being aware that being busy, we've always worn it as this like badge of honor, but it's not actually. It's such a luxury to slow down, to look after ourselves, to take care of our well-being. Do you think you're going to be able to keep that going or how do you feel about that? Well, I'm pretty sure Kristen's going to slap me down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always that friend that you come home and like, yeah. you're tired because you're not taking care of yourself. Like uh-huh. it's pretty obvious to the people looking outside <laughs> in, but it's it's hard to do. It it's is. Hard. Yeah. Again, it's always that situation of like looking outside in. It's so easy to point out. And when you're in it, you know it, but for some reason you just struggle to get there sometimes. And so I'm taking off on Wednesday and... Like I've hit a point where it's like I've I've had such a great time being here on the coast, taking care of myself. Like my climbing's gotten the strongest that it's ever been, and um, yeah, you know, I was doing yoga and Pilates, and but it does hit a point where I haven't been shooting. My career, I think, it does feel like it's stalling a bit because there's only so much I can just rehash old work. At some point, it's like no, I want to shoot something fresh because there is that creative desire in me where I do want to challenge myself in that realm, uh, not just um, personal goals and such. Um, but yeah, no, I I know I need to shoot new work, and my biggest inspiration is I've always wanted to go to the Kimberley, and I've been there twice, but on very short work trips. And because I'm not going to be easily sidetracked overseas, well, this is the perfect opportunity. And working with the Bush Heritage and Australian Wildlife Conservancy, uh, I'm yeah, heading out Wednesday, going to drive out through Western Queensland. And hit- what are you driving? Oh, my land greaser. Can you please explain to the <laughs> listeners your amazing vehicle? Because I'm giving you a platform to brag about this awesome Kristen car. Kristen is also a land cruiser fan, just for those of us that oh. don't know this. <laughs> well, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think it was January, and the other thing that had happened uh, in the last few years, I've gotten more into environmentalism uh, type work. So with the storm chasing and Nick, uh, my mentor, Nick Moyer, he has also encouraged me to get into bushfire chasing, which is absolutely terrifying. Um, but it's work that needs to be done because there are some scary things forecasted. Like actually in the States this year, the West Coast, it is it is going to burn. Like it is so dry and it is absolutely terrifying. It gives and, me shivers. That's like, yeah, yeah, it's too close to home for me. Way too yeah. close. And even like with Queensland, uh, pretty much anything north of Fraser is not looking too good for next summer. And what we don't realise, we go, oh, we had a wet summer, it's all good, but our average rainfall is way under, well, yeah, just way under the normal. And so whilst things look green, it's actually a green drought. It's actually still quite dry. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope we do not have a um, frightening summer coming up. But I appreciate that with Nick, I'm being more educated about this because otherwise I would have had no idea. And anyway, so getting into this, uh, I realized I'd been driving the Subaru Impreza for years. And Which is a great car. It's a great car. And it did you really well. It did well. But then it's like, I'm not driving this into a bushfire or you know, even remote. It's like, yeah, this car's seen its day. It's just, it belongs here on the coast. And so, yeah, one day I just woke up. I was like, all right, 
I need to go get a new car. And I walked into the Toyota dealership where you and Phil were working. And it was really funny because in my head I was like, yeah, I'll go for a Hilux. That's a good tax write-off and, yeah, hits the whatever. But I immediately saw this Land Cruiser and I was like, that. (laughs) (laughs) And to give some context, again, it's going to be so outside the realm. Like we never had these Land Cruisers literally just sitting there. And this one had even been like a demo vehicle. So it was like even – it was just all these things had lined up for Crystal. And both Phil and I were like, you know, ready to – show her a Hilux and sell her on a Hilux. And then we went, oh, duh, you should just get the Land Cruiser that's sitting right there. But then Phil was like, uh, he left me with that other guy, and he's like, Crystal, I'm not going to try to upsell you. Like, I know you came with this, because he felt guilty. I was like, no, 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 like, I feel like I'm going to take advantage. And I was, But I was texting my brother, and my brother was like, yeah, you were never, ever going to go for the Hilux. You were going to go for Land Cruiser. <laughs> but if it wasn't sitting there... You would have gone for the Hilux, right? The universe conspired, I reckon. I think so. So I I wasn't stoked on that Hilux. (laughs) So explain now the Land Cruiser that you've got because it's dope. (laughs) (laughs) So I have this amazing Land Cruiser wagon, that 70 series, and uh, its name is Karloff. Oh, it has a name. Thank you. Sarah loves naming her car. Everything. (laughs) Well, Nick actually named it. So he's like, Crystal, I named your car, so it's mine. I was like, but it was just such an odd name. I was like, I love it. So it was like Karloff the Annihilator or something (laughs) stupid. (laughs) Very apt. As opposed to my van, which is called Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so yep, Karloff, and uh, I yeah took it off to ARB, and good old Derek is definitely um, <laughs> he got a good bonus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a slippery rabbit hole that was! My gosh, um, so like this- nothing is original about Crystal's car; okay. it's like all modifications. <laughs> so is, is this yeah. like the full decked out adventure vehicle now? that can go anywhere? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I just got the second spare tire put on the roof. Uh, and the last thing remaining before I take off is uh, just waiting for these consoles that have taken months um, to be built. But And Crystal, yeah. do you need these consoles, or are they a luxury item? <laughs> I need them. <laughs> to keep bevies cold. <laughs> whilst avoiding eye contact. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like, I think it's an essential because... I think so too. I think so because... I disagree with having the massive fridge. I think it takes up way too much room. It's heavy. And, again, I keep thinking, okay, how am I going to use this vehicle when I'm not doing the proper adventure? And the great thing is, like, the second spare tire on the roof, I can just remove that entirely and just store it in my garage. Um, And I've helped a friend lift his fridge out of his car multiple times. I'm like, this is a pain in the ass, like – I just don't think it's worth the investment. So I feel like my little miniature fridge that will be in between my drivers and passenger chair, uh, it's like for the very essential items that do actually need to stay cold on this trip, great. Uh, otherwise, I'll have an Esky in the back and that's fine. So, yes, yeah, is a balance between like there's definitely some luxury items with this car and just certain things like putting drawers in and helping like keep that organisation uh, and – Again, like, yeah, I was trying to figure out, well, how am I going to use this car when I'm – because I'm probably only going to do one or two, like, massive road trips a year where I need all the gear. Otherwise, it's nice to be able to strip it back. Otherwise, honestly, I would feel like a dickhead driving around the coast with a second spare tire all the time. <laughs> you could just be that chick. <laughs> so, anyways, you're going to the Kimberleys. 
in yeah. this, you know, awesome truck essentially that can take you anywhere. So talk about what you're planning for the Kimberleys and are you doing it solo? Yeah, so I'm going to take off Wednesday and basically depending on a commercial job that would see me be in far north Queensland around mid to late August, this will give me about two and a half months to do the trip. And I have to admit, I'm someone who needs a time frame and a goal. I'm, I'm not very good at just wandering for the hell of it. I, I like to have a certain direction that I'm moving in. Otherwise, I just feel like, okay, what am I doing? Like why? I could be home. And I feel like two and a half months is pretty is a good amount of time. Of course, some people are like, no, you need way longer. And I was like, well, I'm going to come back multiple times. And I think it is nice to just, you know, go see one part of it and then go, okay, when I come back, I can go to this part next time. So I, I think it is nice to just keep scratching at it rather than try to go, right, I'm going to come here for one month and that's it. And it's like, no, for me – with my travels, a lot of people think, oh, you must have been to 100 countries. I was like, no. Like, I've really not been to that many considering the amount of travel I've done. But I've always enjoyed going back to somewhere because every time you go back, you just find something new and special about that place. And I think, yeah, it's – I'm really, really excited about once I get back to Uluru and the ability to go directly west of Uluru. I've always been fascinated about – I like going remote. I I don't know what it is, but remote and barren landscapes, I think, are just incredibly beautiful and enticing. And, yes, I'll drive west of Uluru. I can't quite remember the townships, but I'll basically end up in Wooluna, and there's a bush heritage property there. And I'll come up – I don't know if I'll hit Exmouth or whether I'll just sort of keep cutting up the inland way and hit Broome and then get into the Kimberley. And then I'll come across the North uh, or Northern Territory and then, yeah, hit this job in far North Queensland and be back home by the end of August. And so what are you hoping to shoot while you're out there? If we'll anything. See, see what Is happens. Just so wait and see. Yeah. yeah cool. it's, I've got a couple camera setups with me where, yeah, I want to experiment with some stuff. Like even like uh, I bought some lights for my drone, so I would like to do some landscape shots at dusk, yeah, which Ruben Wu, Wu, this incredible photographer, has done phenomenal stuff, but I feel like there's more to explore with that concept. And I just want to document, you know, just meet people and uh, shoot portraits and, and capture some like interviews along the way. So I have a, a network set up that I'm going to try and feed stories to, whether it's Sydney Morning Herald, New York Times, Australian Geographic, because a lot of these publications don't have the budget for outback or rural content. And for me, I think, well, there's a lot of important stories that still need to be told from out there. So I've offered my services, like, you don't need to cover my travel because I'm already there. But perhaps it's a way to generate some income because, well, I'm a freelancer, so I need to figure that out. Certainly yeah, <laughs> pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> I but, guess. Yeah. Sorry, so I'm curious from, like, this is obviously a huge solo adventure that you're going on. Yes. For context, I was supposed to be riding my bike right now from here to Longreach, <laughs> off-road, self-supported, not quite the same as driving a big vehicle so remote, <laughs> but that kind of idea of solo adventuring, I find yeah. a lot of people will approach you and be like, oh, are you not scared? Like, what are your fears? Is this safe? Like, Crystal, you're a woman going out into the outback on your own. How do you feel about that? You're obviously a very experienced adventurer, but do you still have things like your mom saying, oh, Crystal, I'm not sure if this is safe for you? Or is it like, no, nah, you've oh, got she, this all under control? She gave up a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's realized, like, if I'm going to do something, I'm just going to go do it. I think, 
traveling by yourself is one of the best ways to travel. You are forced to meet people, uh, actually have conversation. Like so often I've seen, whether it's couples or like two friends traveling, and you'd be at a bar and you see them, they're just locked into their own conversation. They just don't seem to be as open to meeting new people. Like you just sort of get into a habit. And for me, yeah, every time I'm by myself, I always meet people from all walks of life. And when it comes to the safety aspect, again, it comes to the, down to the gut instinct most of the time, uh, if not all the time. And that can be from, like I have met people and even though they've been incredibly kind, I'll be like, something's off. And I'll just find a very polite way to be like, okay, very nice to meet you. See you later. Uh, it's pretty easy to dismantle, uh, I think, a lot of conversations. And you, you just know, you get a certain vibe from someone. And yeah, as I said, like s- sometimes, I guess, it comes with experience. If someone's got a hidden agenda, it's your, sort of, your body picks up on that. And I don't know how to explain that. Um, but I will find like, yeah, most time I'll be sleeping in my tent, no worries. But some rest stops, I'd rather just sleep in my car and just have that bit of extra security. And I have rocked up. This happened probably three times now. And the most recent one was in Australia. I just came back on the Outback High from Alice. And I know I got past Windora. Anyways, I pulled up to this um, uh, rest stop. There's no one around. It's completely barren. And, you know, I set up, cooked my dinner. It's all good. And I was like, you know something's off I don't know what it is and again you think oh come on it's just some dogs howling in the distance like there's nothing to be scared about but for whatever reason I was like I just know I'm not gonna be able to go to sleep and I really didn't want to drive because I was really disrushed tired and but I did it I drove another half an hour and I found this other rest stop and for whatever reason the feeling wasn't there anymore and I had a really good night's sleep and it was all good and it's funny because you think I if I had stayed at the last place Maybe nothing did happen. Maybe it would have been just fine, but I've always acted on that. And it's happened to me twice in the States too where I'll just pull up somewhere and one place I remember falling asleep maybe for half an hour and I just shot up and I was just spooked and I was like, got to go. Don't know why, I just got to go. So I think for any solo traveller, whether you're a guy or a chick, I think you have to listen to that gut instinct. Even if you can't reason with it, if you don't feel good in a place, you just move on. And you'll feel a lot better for that. Um, but I did have one friend, uh, re- uh, uh, yeah, acquaintance, um, a few weeks ago, and he was very like, "Well, Crystal, like, what if what if someone's going to attack you?" And I was like, "Come on, that's that's pretty unlikely to happen. Like, violence is the last thing you're going to come across." And I get it because again, I know he was looking at me going, "Oh, you're a solo female traveler," and I was like. I just did a massive eye roll. Crystal just (laughs) 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 Crystal rolling her eyes. (laughs) And again, it's like, no, because he even asked, are you going to take a gun? I'm like, no. Oh, my gosh. Why why the fuck would I take a gun? The the thing is, what I find in those conversations, and I have a lot of them, is often if I'm in a remote place on my own, Mm. I'm the weird one. Yeah. People look at me and are like, uh, are, are you okay? Like, what are you doing here? I'm kind of the scary one that they're unsure of yeah. as opposed to <laughs> being the other way around, right? And generally, like I find most people uh, really mean well. Like they, Absolutely. They'll come across and they'll go, oh, well, can I give you a cup of tea? Can I, can I help you with this? And I remember one of my road trips in Western Queensland last year, this family, like I was shooting portraits for the Queensland Library and it was all about capturing people in the time, the pretty much the peak times of COVID. 
Anyways, this one family's like, well, okay, what are you cooking for yourself for dinner? I was like, well, you know, got this ramen pack. No, no, bullshit. You're not cooking that for yourself. You're going to come in. You're going to have fish and chips with us. And I was like, oh, okay. That was great. So I sat in their lounge room watching bloody, I don't know, the Channel 9 news and eating fish and chips in the chair that, you know, folds back. And, yeah, a lot of time, like, people mean well. And I think we forget that. We we jump to the negative. We're like, okay, someone's going to try and steal this from me or they're going to hurt me. Whereas really, I would say 99% of the time, people, they want to help. They, I think it's innate in us, on all of us. Like we want to care and help each other. 100%. I think trusting in the kindness of people and also your gut instinct, like you say. And there mm. is definitely some experience that comes with that, but there's also no shame in thinking, I just don't feel right about this. Mm. Let's move on. And, and I'm probably going to get a better sleep at the end of the day as well. <laughs> yeah. That's all it is. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, exactly. And I guess with that in mind, you obviously have done some risky and in inverted commas things and you've mm. been on a huge deal of adventures. Are there any that you have turned down because you feel the risk has been too high or is there a particular, I mean, I don't think you have a fear of anything. You're hanging off a skid off a helicopter, you're underwater, but is there anything that you have just looked at and said, no, that's not for me? I was approached for an expedition in, uh, I think it was Guyana, um, just north of Brazil, and it was a source-to-sea expedition. I would have been gone for two months, but I was only given like a few weeks' warning, so I felt like, oh, like I love these sort of trips, and I jump at them, but one, I was like, oh, gosh, me being offline for two months, I'm just not ready to do that, and two, I definitely I had read stories about uh, other river expeditions in South America where things have gone very pear-shaped, where this one kayaker was, like, shot six times in his back. I think he did survive, but I was definitely, I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. And so I did turn that one down. Uh, but I think the ladies, like, they had a great expedition. It was totally fine. Uh, so that was one time I sort of caved into that feeling. But, I mean, for example, when I went to Pakistan, I went – was it two weeks after Osama bin Laden was assassinated? I was really soon after. I remember that. And maybe it was only, no, it was a week. It was a week after or something. So, of course, I was like, what are you doing? You cannot go to Pakistan. And I remember when I got into Islamabad, uh, this family that had taken us all in, they were helping us with logistics and such. And some of the guys were like, yeah, we can go to the Swat Valley. And I was like, no. There's no way I have any desire to go to the Swat Valley. Uh, and then when we did hit the road to the north, uh, we drove through um, Abadabad. That's it. And I remember seeing the street sign or the the road sign Abadabad. And I was like, oh, my God, this is where Osama bin Laden was killed. So I look around in the van and all the guys were asleep. And I just started laughing. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I felt like the people there were more fascinated seeing a white chick trying to put a headscarf on and just going, you're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> and we had no issues, drove through, it was all good. And at the end of the trip, like I was putting a flight back to Islamabad, of course, with the injuries because travelling in a van for two days would have been brutal. And the guys said when they came back, that's when they had this full police escort for many hours. And it was like it was delayed in Pakistan. Like a lot of people didn't find out that news for weeks. And when we did ask people, like, well, how did you feel about this? They're like, well, he's not Pakistani. Like, he's not one of us. And yeah, it's tough for those countries because they are insanely beautiful. But with the media and what you read about them, I can understand why people are naturally afraid of them. Um, whereas I was like, oh, if we didn't have that fear 
created by was certain war tensions and um, media coverage. Gosh, I think they're some of the most, yeah, they are some of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. You were saying that you like to go back to places, and I don't want to push you out of Australia by any means, <laughs> but it can be in Australia too. Where would you like to go back? What's kind of on your radar if and when borders open back up? And again, it can be an answer in Australia, but I'm just curious, like, is there anything that's kind of dangling there that you're like, oh, that's unfinished business for me? I mean, obviously driving across the outback into the Kimberley, that's always been massive unfinished business. In fact, one of the ladies that did the kayaking expedition in Mongolia, so that we did that in 2013, I was emailing with her and she's like, yeah, I remember you talking about the Kimberley back then. I was like, yeah, I've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, so I think Kimberley's my absolute number one. And I know once I get back from this trip, you'll probably hear me go, I need to go back. <laughs> uh, overseas, I have to admit, I really miss Moab in Utah. That place has become probably my desert home uh, I've just done so many projects there. I've got a couple of really dear friends there. And I never thought I'd say this, but I thought when I had finished this one particular project there, and I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm done. I'm done with this place. I can move on. I have gone back probably three times each year. I'm just always naturally drawn back to that area. So I do, I do miss there. And, of course, that brings me close to Salt Lake City and that sort of area. Uh, otherwise, anywhere in the world, I mean, there's, there's a couple of places for sure I dream about. Like I've always... Oh, I'd love to go to Socotra. Um, that's between Yemen and Somalia. That's just like a pure curiosity. I'd love to experience that. And I would like to go back to Tahiti. Uh, I'd love to go swim in those waves again and shoot some more surfing. So there's definitely there are things to do. But I'm also, I've been very happy here on the Sunshine Coast because I spent many years traveling trying to find another Sunshine Coast. I was trying to find, okay, there must be a better base for me somewhere else. And I always kept coming back. And I just realized, I was like, you know, we have it really, really good here. Like, there's an amazing lifestyle here, access to incredible food, health, all that. And then there's Maroochydore Airport that can get me to Sydney or Melbourne. Or if I need to go international, then Brisbane, you know, an hour drive down the road. It's a pretty amazing setup because most of the time, anywhere else I've been, as soon as you drive an hour out of a city, you're still within that city. Like, it's just manic but sunny coast it's pretty amazing that we're an hour out of brisbane but we feel like we can live a coastal laid-back lifestyle you're talking to to international Converse. people as well <laughs> that are, have chosen to live here too so you don't have to convert us yeah we, we're sure. very very lucky to to be here going back to moab just explain mm. to people a little bit more about why that place is really special to you where it is, like, kind of paint a little picture about Moab. Because I've actually never been there, but I would love to go as well. Yeah, I want to go yeah. mountain biking there. It looks incredible. Oh, yeah, it's the amazing adventure playground hub. Like, whether you're rock climbing or paragliding or, yeah, mountain biking. There's even the, the what is it, the Green River that's through there? Anyways, there's a lot of, so many sports you can do there. And... I came across it first. Actually, it was after I heard about this uh, from the base jumpers in the Arctic, and they all kept talking about Moab. I'm like, what is this place? And later that year in 2010, I was invited to a workshop in New York, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to go all this way, I may as well go do something else. And so I thought, yep, I'll stop off in Denver. I've got friends there that can drive me out to Moab. And then that was it. I was I was in love with that place. It's, I don't know, the desert and the cool thing about the Australian desert, like it's just so different. And again, Moab, it's so different to anywhere else. And 
these beautiful streaked walls of sandstone and uh, it's, yes, it's really addictive. It's a small town. Uh, it has uh, boomed quite a bit in the recent years, like most any well-kept secret. Uh, and But it's been good. I mean, I, even the Sunshine Coast, like I believe that we needed some development here, but I start to be very jaded where I'm like, it's enough. Like stop building new estates and roads. <laughs> like I do not want this place to be the next Gold Coast. Like it needs to stay. Sunshine Coast. Especially when you're stuck in traffic and you're oh going, gosh. I didn't have to look both ways when I pulled out of my driveway oh like God. six years ago. <laughs> oh. um, so that begs but. the question then, because you've talked that you love the ocean. Mm-hmm. One of your favorite places in the world is the desert. And of course, you love the mountains. What, what's your favorite place to, I guess, move and adventure if you have to choose one? I think I, it took me a while to realize I spent many years in a perpetual winter and I never intended to do that. But for some reason, I, yeah, I was chasing snow and my gosh, I do miss skiing. I'm pretty sure I don't know how to ski anymore because it's been a while. <laughs> Same. <laughs> oh, maybe next, next season in Japan. No, that's too soon. Probably the following season. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, the one thing I realized it was interesting. I remember doing a shoot in Hawaii and I invited some of my ski buddies to be the models for this uh, brand shoot. And when we talked about the way we grew up, they're like, yeah, we would come to the ocean like for that once a year trip. And I was like, wait, what? And of course for them, they're like, wait, you don't go to the mountains once a year? And I was like, yeah, not even that. And I do realize, I was like, you know, I need to live by the ocean because I love to have that accessible. And it is interesting. Like I... Oh, God. How do I tell the story? Okay. So in Hawaii, uh, this is a uh, – I have many uh, failed dating stories. So this one's – I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> They're all very entertaining. It's very entertaining. <laughs> you remember the Hawaiian one. But this is a great way to explain the feeling. Um, so I had taken a chance on this guy. Like we um, – I guess you would call it a fling uh, in Antarctica. And we kept in contact, but it started to fizzle out. And I was like, that's fine. I can let this go. And I did. It wasn't easy because we had such a great time. And I was like, no, let it go. And then he reached out to me. And he was like, no, and started giving me all these excuses of like why he uh, wasn't emailing me. And again, I was just too empathetic and reasoning on his side. And I didn't take care of myself in this situation so anyways, I thought, well, look, I'm going to be in Hawaii anyways. He was going to be there on a different island. And so I said to my friend, I was like, well, it's, only, it's a cheap flight to the big island. Why not? I'll go take a gamble. And, of course, it is just an utter disaster. Uh, I'm going to condense this story because I have not given many short answers for you guys <laughs> to edit. But we figured out, like, something's incredibly off. That's right. Um Basically, like, we're in this Airbnb. It finally boils down where I'm like, okay, something's been off the whole time we've caught up. Like, I, I can't put my finger on it. It's just off. So finally I'm just like, what is going on? So that's when he's like, oh, yeah, my feelings had changed for you. Last night we were together in Antarctica. I'm like, why the fuck did you email me? Like, we had let go of the connection, and yet you had definitely opened that again. So I was pretty angry. And so I was like, all right, whatever, uh, go to sleep. We'll just deal with this in the morning. And at some point in the night, I just remember hearing this like pitter-patter, just back and forth, back and forth. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? 
And then I hear this water splashing sound. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like it's coming from the right spot. And then I smelt the piss. So I shoot up, turn on the lamp. There he is taking a piss on the bedroom floor. I'm mortified, (laughs) just going, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Clearly more drunk or stoned, I don't know. And I just go and grab a towel and just threw it in his face. I'm like, you're cleaning this up. (laughs) And... He had another, we had like one of his other friends from the ship staying in the other room of the Airbnb and he had to take her to the airport at like 4 a.m. in the morning. So I'm just laying there just seething, just like, what have I put myself into? And thankfully, like I waited for him to get back from the airport because it was too early for me to do anything. So I'm just laying there just like, this is shit. And thankfully he had the sense to go back to the other room um, and not come back to mine. And as soon as he did that, I was like, right, by then, it's like, I don't know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m. So I'm like, right, got up, had a shower, tried to like, yeah, all the dirty stuff I just threw into this pile. I'm like, this is, oh. And, and then I just took off. I was like, I don't need this. And I, I flew back uh, to Oahu and my friend Kimmy, she was like, oh, Crystal, like, did you even get good sex out of it? I was like, nope, got nothing. <laughs> and uh, so we went off to this chiropractor. It was amazing. But then we went to Pipeline. And at this time of year, it's flat. So there's no surf. So we walked in at Pipeline and um, jumped in the ocean for this amazing afternoon swim. And I remember as soon as I put my head underwater, I'm like, ah, it's all good. Like, it's a hilarious story. You can always eh, talk about type two fun. Like, definitely <laughs> love. That, that's edging into type three, I think. <laughs> uh, it's, I was about to explain the five types of fun, but I'll come back to that. But I just remember that very clear feeling of like, you know, when I jump in the ocean, it really does wash away any problems and again I know it can sound cliche but it's like no it really does soothe me it makes me happy and then I was like oh I just it really I think if I was younger I would have been really upset and caught up and then I was like oh well that was silly and that's given me an entertaining story to tell mind you I had to shut down my Airbnb account because of course it wasn't the booking was in my name so that was not a very nice review um yeah and uh, yeah, so anyways, that was that person does not exist in my life. <laughs> I don't that. remember when you told that story. Oh, God, yeah. Bill and I were just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but the ocean, the like, I guess I told a very odd story to get to the point. Yeah. Where I was like, <laughs> I really do jump in the ocean. If I'm having a bad day, you just got to jump in the surf. And that's what I've realized by living here on the coast. I have that. And if I really need to go to the mountains, I am happy to fork out the cost to get there rather than being – well, yeah, being stuck in the mountains and then just craving that salt fix. The healing power of the ocean. Mm. 100%. <laughs> healing from bad days. <laughs> oh, yeah, five types of fun. I was going to ask you about yeah, that because yeah. I always thought there was just three. Five. So tell me about yeah, the five types two. of fun. All right, type one fun. Everyone's having a good time. It was a great thing. All good. Type two fun, fun after the fact. Type three fun. Everyone else is having fun, but you're not having fun. Oh. Type four fun. But you're having fun, but everyone else is not having fun. So it's the opposite one, those ones. Yeah. Type 5 fun. No one's having fun. After the fact, you're still not having fun. It was just a really shit idea from the start <laughs> to finish. So. I always thought it was type A, having fun, and it's fun to talk about afterwards. Like you feel good about afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Type 2 is it sucks in the moment, but afterwards either you've got a good story or you're like, oh, that was worth it. Type 3 was it's not fun in the moment and it's not fun afterwards you look back going that was awful but 
I like the other two in there where it's like, you're having fun, yeah. but no one else is having I fun. I like that because that's really or, relevant sometimes when you're out with other people. That's very real. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I've definitely been the person of like, I'm having a great time, but no one else is. So <laughs> thank you for that education. <laughs> Every day's a school day, hey? That's cool. <laughs> There's probably been cases of Sarah and me when we like we oh, talked we've, about <laughs> we've shared some long runs where yeah, there's whereas four or yeah yeah one of us is having a great day the other one's it's having an awful miserable. day yeah because <laughs> the reality is is sometimes it doesn't line up right so I yeah. like the other two that oh, are in there I remember learning that from someone I was like I like that that's I've always, so good yeah. that means I can shout that at you when I'm like walking up a hill and you're just cheerily running up with bear in front of you and I'm hating you and life yeah well bear <laughs> There's a little bit of a tug rope, so I do get a handicap running oh with God. a dog. <laughs> so good. How is your climbing going? Well, because I know that your hand, how's your hand doing? Oh, we are seeing a lot of rock tape right now. <laughs> yeah, no, the other night at the gym, I was on a side pull and all my body weight was on this because I was smearing my feet and then the pinky just popped off. And so if you imagine like all that force then just shifted across in the hand and Honestly, it was a sound. Um, I didn't do that very good. Which is um, And it didn't, the pop didn't hurt. But when you hurt, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> so that is the one frustrating thing. It's interesting, like the last 12 months in particular, but no, the last 12 months I really got into the Pilates, the yoga, and really trying to correct my body because I think travel really took a major health toll on me. And I don't know of others that really speak about this. And it's tough with social media because even I get tired of any posts that just feel like bleeding the heart. It's like, oh, for fuck's sakes. Um, but honestly, like the health toll that I felt that I've taken on these past 10 years wasn't good. The constant changing time zones, you sleep. Like I've been reading the book Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker and it's fascinating like to hear the way our bodies work. Um but also my hips, holy mackerel, like my hips were definitely contorted different because you think when you're in those uncomfortable plane seats because, yeah, I'm always flying economy and you just shove yourself into a certain position and you're like, right, this will do. I'll sleep like this. And, again, like I wouldn't stretch. And you know what? <laughs> when the world does open up, when you're asking me, like, am I going to actually keep up? Uh, I would like to think so because I just know how much happier I am. I will be the idiot, or not, not an idiot, but I'm going to be that strange person at the check-in gate going, you know what, I'm going to do some downward dog or something because, you know what, it feels good um, and I don't want my hips to go back the way they were. So, but yeah, it's been nice out climbing. I, as I said, I'm going to go climbing after this because I really want to send this project before I hit the road. Um, but it's good. It's, I mean, I have to be very careful. Like I can't, I have to tape two fingers together to make sure pain hits my forearm but did your physio give you the clear yeah to be able, okay he was one that was actually you should keep climbing because the inflammation is actually good like to get the blood pumping through it it would actually help with the healing whereas the biggest fear is actually just scar tissue so i think the biggest problem for a lot of us depending on the injury were and for a few days afterwards i was like okay i'm not going to do anything i'm going to rest it but by resting it it's actually developing that scar tissue and yeah you want to actually keep exercising to a to a tame level on it your hands are obviously a pretty important tool for your craft Mm. does that ever impact like do you think about that when you're if you're doing something for fun like say climbing and there's risk involved do you think about that and your safety with that in mind uh i mean i'm very aware that if i'm injured 
then I can't work. I mean, that's like any of us, really. Mm. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It, I guess it depends on the extent and the fact that your adventures in themselves with the photography are risky is a next level approach yeah. to work. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely that. And I go, that's why with the surgery, uh, going back to that story, that's why I did push it off because I just knew I'm not going to be able to do any work for two months and again, as a freelancer, I know in Australia, usually in my summers, uh, it's really hard to pick up freelance work. It just, I don't know what goes on. It just, there's not much going on in the creative industry at that time. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I I just get so much joy out of the activities that I do. So I will keep doing things. And yeah, it, there's always an inherent risk, but I just don't want to go through a life where it's like, ah, oh, what if I did take that risk? Or what if I did, like, the what if? I don't I don't want to ever ask myself no that. Yeah. And do you ever go on an adventure without a camera? Yeah, I have. Uh, because, I mean, I've been struggling to find the right camera at the moment that I feel like it's not a burden. And with the SLRs, the problem is that when they're too bulky, people notice it. And so I've been given a particular camera to trial on this trip where it is quite slim, not really much bigger than an iPhone, but it's, yeah, interesting enough, as a photographer, the one thing I have a bit of a regret about is that in the past, well, 15 years now, there are some happy snaps, but really not many. And I kick myself a bit for it. But I'd, if I pick up a certain camera, it would just feel like I'm working. And, like, if I am working, great. I want to have the right system in my hand. I don't care how big it is. But, for example, like when my nine-month-old nephew was crawling around the apartment, I was like, well, I don't want to drag out my big asshole. I just want a little quick – and not an iPhone because that just drives me nuts. Uh, but just to have a nice small camera that I could wear around my waist and f- not even notice that it's there. Uh, so, yeah, it's – but I have done trips. I've gone to Sydney many times, and I'm like, you know, nope, not taking a camera. And it feels good. Yeah, interesting. It's – yeah. That's funny, actually, that you kind of get into that point that – Taking photos for everybody nowadays is super accessible. I know it's the annoying bit of just having your iPhone. Mm. But I remember my SLR camera back in like 2008 would have been as good of quality as what we now can fit in our pocket, right? So everybody's taking photos now and it's becoming much more accessible. But for you, you've got this background that it's a job. So... Like, just a quick question. Like, do you document your life? <laughs> like, your life? Like, everybody else does? You know what I mean? Probably way, way less than most people. Because uh, then I think, okay, well, what's this photo going to do? It's going to sit on a hard drive and I'm going to forget about it. So I'm like, why? But then I kick myself because I see certain photographers, like a friend of mine, Trent Mitchell. Oh, man, like, the way he documents his two kids growing up, it's just beautiful. Or even David Marie Smith, like, uh, he's just friends of mine and... They shoot these beautiful day-to-day life um, images. I'm like, oh, like I should be doing that too. Like even I don't have kids, but like having my nine-month-old nephew around, I'm like, yeah, I should not rely on the iPhone. I should have my camera on me. Because there are, it's, I think what people forget is you think, okay, I need to do a big epic trip and I want to get these epic vistas and this is what it's going to be. But sometimes in your day-to-day life, there are these really subtle moments where the light is just coming through the window ever so perfectly and this subtle moment happens, and those moments can be more powerful than the most epic action image you'll see. And Which you do really well as well, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it right. would be interesting for you to take that, um, not step back, but into a different realm of just the everyday and yeah. see how that feels for you, too, yeah, without definitely. it feeling like work, I guess. Yeah. 
do do your adventures do you get propelled because of the adventure or because of the photos like I've listened to you and other podcasts talk about you have these dreams Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what you're chasing is to capture this moment that you've created in your mind. Yeah. Is it mostly like, are you doing all these adventures and expeditions to get that image done or based off of the adventure? You know what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, no, I know what you're trying to ask. So with my photography, there's two distinct ways that it operates. Uh, on one hand, I have these very conceptual dreams that puts an idea in my head and I become very obsessive about pursuing that. So in those situations, yeah, I'm trying to create a very particular image and I will go to a certain place and, yeah, try to really control the elements um, and find that opportunity to create that. On the other hand, like this trip that I'm doing, there is no particular image that's driving me. It is probably more so the adventure that's driving it. And some of them probably, yeah, some of my... Uh, I guess what my favorite images uh, in in my folio are ones that I didn't create in my head. I don't know. Wait, let me take that back. Um, <laughs> it's just two. It's just two very different ways. Like I don't want to compare them. It's like it's either I really enjoy having a specific idea and concept and creating that because there is an incredible satisfaction of doing that. But then also just letting the world happen or Mother Nature do its thing and just. As they say, like you, you're lucky, like you've been in the right place at the right time. But for the, in behind that saying is that well, you've done a lot of hard work to put yourself there at the right time at the right place. So I sometimes get annoyed when like, oh, you're so lucky. It's like no, I, I worked really hard. Like this trip, like if I come back with some hopefully some incredible images, it's like well, yeah, I forked out a whole bunch of money for fuel and prepared a car and was willing to drive. Gosh, I did like a Google Maps of the whole route and already it's like at 119 hours or something, like maybe 11,000 Ks. And that's, of course, with no detours. Uh, That's just the if I were to drive the loop. So obviously it's going to probably blow out to 20,000 Ks and however many more hours. But it's like, yeah, I'm going to put in the hard work because I want to try and create as much of those opportune moments of like I was at the right place at the right time. Yeah, you're always bringing in the years of experience you've had, both in adventure and in photography, regardless of the situation, right? Yeah. And do you think moving forward, you would like to do more? It it kind of almost feels a little bit more like storytelling that you want to do. You were doing storytelling before as well. I know they're really squeaky chairs, right? Sorry, I was like, (laughs) I just need to move a little bit. Yeah, but like moving forward, doing a little bit like you talked about getting older and maybe managing risk a little bit more, doing more of the storytelling of kind of the everyday stuff. Does that interest you? Or are you still more interested in the adventure side of it? I would say, I mean, storytelling has always been part of it. But as I progress in my career, it just simply becomes more mature. Well, I would hope it becomes more <laughs> mature. And... The adventure will always be a part of it, but I think I've reached a stage. And again, whether I'm going to actually do this is when the world does open up again, can I be selective and choose my projects? And and that's tough because as a freelancer, I don't have a stable income. And I've been fine with that. For sure, I have stressed out about this, but it's always a freedom I've enjoyed. 
but it does come with the cons. It's like, oh, hello, I've got no savings left. I need to pay a mortgage now. And so I do foresee that there'll be some times in my life where I'm like, for three months I could be just flat strapping, just doing these crazy trips just to secure work. But ideally, if I can recognise that and go, right, if I'm going to put myself through that, I'm going to take a month or two months off and make sure I you know, get back into a good flow of working out and eating really good. Actually, the one thing, this is good, I went to a friend's uh, surprise birthday barbecue in Makula and it was definitely a scenario where I was like, you're the only people I know. I get really actually um, introverted where I'm like, oh, I really don't want to go to this because it means I have to talk to a lot of new people and probably not going to see them ever again. And I'm at this barbecue and bit by bit I'm like, okay, there's some pretty cool people here and I'm actually striking up some conversations. And I started talking to this one guy and he was mentioning like he was on the road quite a lot and you're already smart because you know the story. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I, I, I travel quite a lot. I'm on the road for, oh gosh, what do you say, like six, nine months a year. I was like, oh, wow. And when he says a musician, I'm like, oh, so – you know, you're in a band or you're solo and this guy, other guy beside me who just picks up on the conversation, he's like, you don't know Follow the Sun? I was like, oh, is that a band or is that like – and this guy starts to try to sing it and, of course, the guy that I was chatting to just goes, no, like stop, stop singing. And it was Xavier Rudd. And then, of course, I'm just like slapping myself going, wait, how did – because he's so like – it's – You'd think he's so easy to recognise, but I just didn't put two and two together of realising, oh, Xavier Rudd just happens to be at my friend's barbecue. <laughs> barbecue Marco. <Yeah. laughs> and I was like, oh. So I definitely had a fangirl moment. I was like, holy shit, Xavier Rudd. It was really cool because I could then be like, mate, I saw you when I was like 16 when you are at Blues Fest. And of course he was like, yeah, that was when I started to get big. And anyways, we, we go back to the travelling and the one thing that felt so good to hear from him He's like, you know, it took me, what was it, like 11 years or 16 years or something like that. He's like, it took me that long to figure out how to live on the road and live healthy because he talked about he these days he's very good about, you know, making sure he's exercising and, and eating well. And it just made me feel better because, of course, you think, how the hell by this stage do I still not have my shit together? And so when he said that, I was like, oh, thank you because I think I really need to hear that to know that. Again, because you look at others and you think, oh, my God, they got it all figured out. How are they living these amazing lives on the road? And it's like, nope. I can guarantee you when you look at anyone online, whatever celebrity, we are all goddamn shit shows. <laughs> so, yeah, anyone who's trying to paint this picture perfect, I'm like, I, I always call bullshit. It's, yeah. Because it's probably hard to find people like that to validate some of those struggles that you have with because you do live a really different lifestyle and social media does paint a picture of other people that it, I'm sure you even get caught up in the comparison trap as well, too. But also recognizing that you probably have made other people have these fangirl moments, too. <laughs> like in Australia, there's a bit of that tall poppy syndrome. And you kind of like you said yourself that your life is a bit of a shit show, but you also have your shit together and you you do know what you're doing. So how do you... How have you overcome a bit of that imposter syndrome throughout your years? Because it's tough, like, to kind of be able to hold yourself and know that you're confident and comfortable. You know what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, I believe that, well, for me, it's I've just become more comfortable with who I am as mm -hmm. I get older. And I know when I look back, particularly, I remember a moment when I was 25 and I was like, yeah, I know my shit. Like, I'm, I'm you know, I'm an adult. <laughs> and then you look back and like, 
ooh, I definitely didn't know what I was talking about. And even, gosh, in my early 30s, I was like, huh, I'm still getting handed some pretty harsh life lessons. Because, again, like, I've been thinking early 30s, I'm like, okay, no, no, i got it figured out. And I was like, nope, nope. And finally I'm like, no, I, I really do not have it figured out. And I think when you can finally admit that, you're like, okay. That's when you know you've got it figured out. <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I guess just embracing the just life and how wonderfully complicated it is. And, yeah, it's, I guess, with who I am, like I've definitely fallen uh, into that trap of comparison on social media and that definitely really screwed with me as a photographer for a while because, yeah, like friends at a film festival were all talking about it. It's like, yeah, we, we want to see friends posting about success and, you know, they've just done this project. But then all of a sudden it has this sort of detrimental effect where you're like, oh, my God, that person's just had another successful project. They've just had this other client. And then you think, oh, my God, like I don't have any clients at the moment. I, Yeah, and that, that is hard. And sometimes it creeps up on me for sure. And sometimes I do look I'm like, oh, God, this person's – still like they're just always working and I'm I've got nothing at the moment so it's I have to admit yeah it doesn't ever truly go away but bit by bit you just keep learning okay well what can I do to improve my mental health situation like should I stop looking at social media should I you know be putting the phone down and going outside and shooting images so it's social media it's it can have a positive effect to a certain degree but then I think it's important for everyone to recognize how detrimental it can actually be and being able to walk away from it because it's, yeah, it's not easy when it's right there on your phone every day. So easy to access as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. That's right. I'll just look at cat videos. <laughs> or TikTok in Kristen's case. Oh, yeah. You're addicted She's to TikTok. crazy on TikTok. Into TikTok. Oh, no. It's got these weird algorithms. So my whole TikTok is either dancing or dogs Mm. And they could be dog training videos or just like cute dog videos. So it is so weird. You it's saved so me weird. having to look at TikTok because I just look at your stories and I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I just don't filter it for me. I'm just too much of a minefield. No. I don't get it. Oh, you I, look down at your phone, it's an hour later, and you're like, where yeah. did life go? So I, that's I what just I need to delete it. Oh, that's what I hate at the moment. Um, is, and I was in for a while. I was really good. My my phone screen time was down to like maybe an hour and a half or two hours a day. And I was like, okay, that's I can handle that. It's acceptable because I'll do emails from phone or stuff like that. But then in the last couple of months, honestly, uh, and I'm too embarrassed to say the number, it has blown out. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, how can I justify this time? But you go online and the problem is so many friends would text me on Instagram. So I'm like, all right, message came in. Okay, get back to it. And then you're like, Oh, new video. Okay, I'll just quickly click on this. And then half an hour goes by. It's like, hmm, yeah. Uh, I was going to swear then, but I'm like, that that word (laughs) is not good for podcasting. But it's, yeah, it's really, and you watch all the documentaries, like Social Dilemma, and it's not a surprise. You know these apps are designed to keep you bloody hooked. And I think I just need this trip to have a new reset of, like, being forced offline and sometimes I think, you know what, maybe I should schedule it. Maybe I should be like, you know what, I can only access this app from 6 to 8 p.m. or something, and that's it. But the problem is when people use it as a means of communication, then eh. I think it's cool, though, because a lot of your work really does, it sounds super cliche, but, like, inspires people to get out there. Yeah. Um, is there anything in particular that you're most proud of any project that you're like that really had the intent that I wanted it to be because I'm, I'm sure part of the intent is to get people mm. out there and off their phones and 
Yeah, there is. There's definitely that intent. I'd say it's it's maybe framed a little differently. I think the success in art is engagement. Now, that's not to say that like I've looked at certain artwork and I there's nothing. Like I'm not going to be able to engage with everything I see. I mean, gosh, particularly online now with documentaries or films, like I just cannot keep up. It is just too much. But for the stuff that I choose to watch and if I engage with it, like that to me is the success behind art. So what I mean by that too is I could look at a piece of art and I'll feel a range of emotions. I might look at something and go, you know, I hate it. That's brutal. But just to get the point across, I might go, I hate it. But that's still a success because it's triggered something in me. I'm, I'm engaging with this piece. Or on the other hand, yeah, it could make me excited, elated. Gosh, it could make me sad. But when art makes you feel something, that's the success of it. So when someone sees my work, whether it's the photos or the films that I'm putting out, I'm hoping they're engaging. And now the byproduct of that is that, okay, maybe they go, oh, man, I felt super excited just watching this rock climbing project, I don't know, in Moab, and they go, maybe in the subconscious, maybe it's like, yeah, I, I feel like going for a climb. Or I don't know, or maybe it could be anything. Um, but I would say I, I sort of steer away of trying to say, yeah, I want to inspire others to get outdoor because, again, we all want to inspire other people. But telling someone, like, I'm going to inspire you, yeah, I, I, I don't like saying that because it's like I'm going to tell you how to react to this. Instead, it's like I hope you engage with this and through that, hopefully it's set off a chain reaction into a positive direction. That makes sense. That makes sense. It totally makes sense. And my, my warm-up this morning before the podcast was making a coffee and watching Where the Wild Things Play, which we haven't mentioned. It's actually, that's how I realised <laughs> Kristen and you had this connection. But the soundtrack to that film, like, it just gets stuck in my head. And I'm like, I just want to go out and do some rad stuff. <laughs> it's, um, sorry, I was like, I realised I should have shifted that a while ago. Um, yeah, Where the Wild Things Play, gosh... That was such a shit show. It says, talk about engagement, right? You got a range of everything. Yeah, gosh, I got everything with that. Uh, and honestly, how did that all start? I mean, it was on a ski expedition in Alaska. That was like 2013. I just thought, you know, this song, the cake one, the short skirt and long track, I'm like, God, it'd be so much fun to make something to that. And then that was it. I didn't really think about it for a while. And then... Gosh, I think, oh, yeah, the conversation about film festivals and a lack of female representation, I think that's what really sparked it. Of like, right, I'm going to do something about this. And so I set out and you saw me. I'm just like, oh, can, can we just do, do running one afternoon? And it was really tough to, like, collect all these different athletes. And, again, like, I didn't have, like, outdoor research, they did get behind me, but I had done a lot of it before and... So on one hand, I really didn't make anything on that project, but it was a real passion project for sure. And when we put it online, I just thought, ah, oh, yeah, we, if we got like 20,000 views, that would be amazing. And at this time, I'd when we finally did put it online, I remember I was in Europe. I think I was trying to take some time off and I was in Italy. And anyways, I was like, and I was definitely like, nope, not going to be online. I didn't have any reception. This is great, except at my Airbnb. And then my editor, Aiden, was like, you do realise, like, you've got a million views. And it's only been, like, 24 or 48 hours. I was like, 
wait, what? I'm pretty sure half a million was from my family. But like, <laughs> Kristen's she said the last five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> my mom shared it with like everybody, for example. Yeah. <laughs> but I was really shocked. Like it just, and that's the thing with content. Like it, it even happens. Like I would say at a Hollywood standard too. Like there is a bit of luck of like when you release a piece of work of just hitting the right moment with people. Like. It just attracts them because when I did the second sort of follow-up one, because one of the the biggest um, cr- criticism that I received was it wasn't diverse enough. Uh, I didn't get enough people of color or age or all this, and I was like, and it was hard to hear that because uh, again, I, I sometimes I felt like we were just getting too caught up of like, well, you didn't tick this box, tick this box, and I was like, I was just doing the damn best that I could, and. I thought I was doing something that would have a really good positive impact, which I think for the most part it did. But again, the more views you get, the more criticism you always receive. And so when the second one came out, it really didn't hit that same moment. For whatever reason, we really just struck it lucky that people were craving that first film a lot. And yeah, so it took off. And it is cool because I had quite a few ladies who would just email me of like, Every morning I get up, I play a video, so I'm psyched to get out. I was like, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> good. Because that's what Sarah and I were talking about is, like, you just watch it and you're just pumped. Yeah. Like, you're just pumped Yeah, for the day. Yeah, I think it, one of my favorite bits in it isn't, like, I love all the action. I love the girl falling off her mountain bike. Like, I can relate to all of that. But the moments where you just are shooting the smiling faces, like yeah. the stoke of like little Kristen's face there and the other <laughs> girls, but it just captures it, right? It's just yeah. like out in nature, so happy. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. No, it was good. It was just it was something simple. And it was funny, The one, one of the criticisms, oh gosh, someone talked about the soundtrack and how, oh, I can't remember what they said, but I think they were trying to say, oh, so sexist or... I was like, oh, my fucking God. Like, everyone just wants to pick apart every minute detail. And it's like, well, I can tell you what, as a person who created that was not the intention. I was just having fun with the words because I thought, you know, the way I interpret the words was fun. Um, I didn't see it from – again, they're coming in with their own experience. So, again, that's art. Like, I, I might hear a song go, that is just brilliant and it brings me to tears. But someone might go – I don't know, I just shrug my shoulders and move on. But, yeah, can't can't appease everyone. I'm sure you've gotten criticism throughout your oh, like, yeah. time as well. Do you take it much better now? Have you learned to learn from it or does it still kind of get to you? The only time criticism got to me is when it's a personal attack. Mm. That's when I get fired up. Yeah. So everything from a photographer who told me that I should give up and being a sports photographer because I was never going to make it. That that's stubborn crystal coming and going like, I'll show you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the fire to the belly. Yeah. Uh, in recent years, I don't feel like I really ever copped any personal attacks. Sometimes I, with Why Are the Wild Things Play, there was one particular woman who was, I felt like she had a vendetta against me as if I had just done the worst thing possible for the industry. And I, I started to take that personally because we were in very – very similar circles. We never had met in person, but I, gosh, I was so ready for a showdown with her. Um, never happened though. We got close to one, but that's good. it was just, yeah, sometimes you can just feel like, because uh, art that I put out, it is personal. It, so when someone is critiquing it, it's like, yeah, it depends on what they say. Sometimes it does hurt, but 
Again, as you get older, you learn to let go. And I, I don't go looking for comments. I think when I was younger, you get a bit excited, like, oh, my God, people are talking about my work. But in time, I was like, no, I, I'm i good. Like, I, I don't need to see every piece of information because, yeah, some people are going to just set out to be cruel just because they're hiding behind a keyboard. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been fine. I think what do I get hurt by? Maybe when people speak about my choices – and judge me on that. Um, I think that hurts. Uh, there's been talk about, yeah, you know, I'm 34 and I'm single and I don't have a family. So there's some interesting conversation around that. And I don't mind having an open conversation about it because, yeah, it is interesting to discuss those matters. But again, when someone comes in with a very strong viewpoint of like, your life's not going to be fulfilled, Crystal, because you didn't have kids. It's like, my life is perfectly fulfilled. I don't need kids to fulfill my life. And at the end of the day, it's like the, the choices we're making in life, we're all just going down very different paths. So it's very frustrating when someone's trying to bully you into their perspective. And that's when I probably will get a bit more arced up. Fair. One's perception of a, of a fulfilled life is not necessarily another's. So, yeah. mm. I'm conscious of time. Do you reckon we have <laughs> a quick lightning round and then one final question that I want to ask? <laughs> It's a very important question. Yeah, that's it. We'll do just some quick questions. What's your favorite country's food? Favorite what? Like if you had to choose the food of a country. Oh, cuisine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I always play this game with someone. I was like, okay, if you're stuck on an island, you can mm-hmm. only have one cuisine for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. And I can't say Asian cuisine because that's too broad and that's cheating. So I'd have to say Thai just because I love Thai food and – yeah, I could never get sick of that. Good one. Uh, best part of travel? Best part of travel is arriving to a destination with having no, well, not no, but very little knowledge of the place. There's been very few times in my life where I've flown into somewhere. Like I remember the first time I've flown to Kathmandu or Islamabad and I was like, I have no idea what to expect. It was, It felt so like raw adventure, like, I couldn't research about this place before coming here. So I think when I find those locations and getting there, I love that. It's like having that little kid's curiosity of like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> and what's the worst part of travel? Yeah, the transit. Yeah. Any form of transit, sitting on a bus, sitting on a plane, waiting to get on the plane, being delayed. Yeah, any form of transit I just think is shit. Favorite way to move? As in... Rock climbing, oh, Pilates, yeah, that's not fair. ocean um, swimming, and body surfing, whatever. I would say body surfing. Why? Is that my stomach? There's no stomach. Anyways, um, I would say body surfing because porpoising on the wave is still one of the most blissful moments to experience. Agreed. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> Uh, I'll have to give a little bit of an anecdote to this or uh, backstory to this question. So we recently, Phil and I went to your house and this was after we had purchased five indoor <laughs> plants and we're going, oh my gosh, we are so proud. We've got like a Monstera, we've got a rubber plant, Zanzibar, Caliphate, like we thought we had a bit of a range. So we come to your house and for it's quite, I kind of explained it to Sarah, but I'll paint a bit of a picture. Like, it's perfect for you. I love 
your place. It's like in the middle of everything. I won't name where it is. <laughs> but you walk in and you see your room. And then you walk down the hallway. You see another room, a toilet. You've got your kitchen, your living room. There's a loft and a balcony. So when you first walk in, you see your room. And so we kind of peeked in. We're like, oh, that's nice and neat. Oh, look, Crystal's got indoor plants. Maybe we could talk to her. Oh, and we get down the hallway <laughs> And there are more indoor plants than there is space otherwise in this apartment. Uh, there's still space. I mean... For more plants. Yeah, for more plants. <laughs> you go out onto the balcony and there is plants everywhere. Going up to the loft, there's these beautifully maintained vines coming down from it. There's these hanging plants. I mean... Crystal, you have so many plants. <laughs> so if you have to, <laughs> if you have to choose one of your favorite plants, this is gonna be the worst question probably for you face. for the entire hour and a half. What is your favorite indoor plant? I don't wanna choose. <laughs> Make me choose a favorite child. I know. <laughs> I think I pointed one out to you that I'm really excited for it to grow. It's like this uh, Peruvian Monstera. I don't know the correct. I'm not very good with like the technical names or scientific names, but it is just this most gorgeous dark green leaf. Not quite a heart shape, um, but it's almost almost got like a similar like like the crocodilus fern, like just that sort of texture on it, just to sort of help paint a picture. And it's meant to grow in a vine. Oh, man, it cost me a fortune. Like, my most expensive plants are, like, a couple of these little babies because I love the love the guys at Noosa Pots and Plants. And I'm useless. Like, even when I need to go buy, like, some sort of care or maintenance, and then I'm like, okay, just one plant. And then I walk out with a whole tray of plants. <laughs> like, I even walk to the market. I'm like, right, if I can't carry it in my hands, I'm not allowed to buy it. No, what do I do? I just find a way to make it work. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll just go ship these plants to my car or something i'll come back and get these like it's yeah but i love plants <laughs> <laughs> i just wanted that to be part of the podcast had to that be we part talk about your plants i did because i had no idea like i've known you for so long and i walk into this apartment and probably for the like two hours that we were there i'm like i still cannot believe that you have not spoken about this crystal anyways i thought that was really interesting it's i mean the goal is it's gonna be interesting when i'm gone because my yeah. brother and partner are living in my place i'm hoping she doesn't kill too many no pressure no pressure uh i mean a lot of them are pretty sturdy um and there's we looked at some this morning i was like yeah that one's gonna die um i don't know sometimes like you bring god now i'm talking about plants but (laughs) there is a plant that i bought okay i got stood up for a date i was coming back from lennox i was meant to meet this guy on a second date and i was really reluctant to do it because i was like no all these red flags but a friend was like no crystal be positive like give him a chance i was like okay so the guy bails and i was like typical and i was like all right i'm gonna stop off in the nursery so of course i take a photo of my front seat with a bunch of plants and text my sister i'm like well this is how my date went and but one of them kangaroos poor i don't know what it is like this is the second time i've tried to introduce it and just within like a day it just starts shriveling up and it didn't matter what i do i'm like so sometimes there's one or two plants where it's like it must be the salt air or something where it's like or is there too much oxygen? At too your much. Place? Oh, someone actually, someone wrote me this great line. He's like, "What was it?" He's like, "They say you go down to Tasmania for fresh air, but you." Um, oh, I wish I remember. It was such a great one-liner. Uh, but something about obviously, I I get super high in my place just because it's so oxygen oxygenated. oxygenated. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, I fucking love plants. And honestly, like 
one thing I'll finish on is um, I went to the spirit house for lunch with um, friends the other day and I sat there thinking, what if travel was never a thing again? Like what if I could never travel? Like how would my career change? And the interesting thing, when we talk about careers, we get caught up in identities and I know I'm guilty of this. And I know with photography I've definitely wrapped up a lot of who I think I am as a photographer. And this is when I think sometimes social media is sort of, for me, it stunts my growth because then I think, again, it's expectation in my own head, thinking, well, this is what everyone knows me as, so this is what I must do. And I still love photography, thankfully. But then I think, gosh, could I give it up and just do something like the Spirit House? Like I'd love to cultivate land, not run a restaurant, but cultivate a land and turn it into, I don't know, do I build a climbing gym or do I create a farm? I don't know. But I think if I didn't have photography, it would be something to do with cultivating land because I really do love having a green thumb. I love that. Beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um, all right, we'll do one more. Besides your camera, what's your favorite piece of gear? Think it can't be a plant. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Plants can be handy. Uh, favorite piece of gear? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um. Actually, you know what? I want to say having some form, whether it's headphones or a speaker, my, my car sound system, I am very proud of that. Again, luxury item. But I love music and I love having, as I said, I know that's sort of cheating because it's multiple items, but so I, let's say my car stereo system, just because like when I'm traveling, I really just love great sound and I, yeah, I love music. That's a big part of my life. What sort of music are you going to listen to when you go out to the Kimberleys? It's just going to shuffle, to be honest. <laughs> just what does shuffle sound like to you? Uh, look, it could be anything. Anything from – I'm definitely a fan of, like, oldies, like, oh, you know, whether it's – gosh, I'm trying to think now. Okay, so Fleetwood Mac, Love it. Led Zeppelin, like, yeah, all that sort of oldies. Um, then indie folk, so, oh, you know um, – Xavier Rudd. <laughs> I feel like I almost need to look at my phone for this. It's just I listen to a bit of everything except I can't do mainstream country. But then, for example, I love there's a song called Statesboro, uh, sorry, Statesboro Blues by Chris Smithers, but it's the 1970s version because it's so – I love like a good raw voice, a bit like the guy out of um, – he sings that song, Son of a Bitch. Um, Nathaniel Ratliff. Okay. That's it. Like that's sort of – you can tell the guys had a few drinks, but it's like it's just a nice raspy, like it's got a good character to it. So yeah, anything from like folk to like old pop. I can't yeah, I can't do like mainstream country, super, super heavy metal, like like I love Rage Against Machine, but that's probably the heaviest my music taste goes. Uh and then oh, I was gonna say, yeah, like main mainstream pop. So I like Katy Perry and like I yeah, I just can't. I can't I can't do it. <laughs> Fair enough. And as a background as well for everybody too, my husband played in school band with Crystal, so you obviously have a uh, musical background. You played trumpet, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day. There you go. Hmm. All right. Do we finish on the all-important question? Yep. Okay. So I'm fortunate every week to mountain bike coach a group of little girls. They start at about six years old and go up from there. And my friend Jackie and I have an hour with them each week on the trails. They cannot make it through the hour without needing to go to the toilet. So the most common re- request we get is like, Sarah, Jackie, we need a wild wee. 
So the question is, Crystal, <laughs> what is your most memorable wild we? Well, are we talking about the contraption that women are supposed to use? No, this no. is just the term that just, these girls need to pull oh, their pants down on the side of the trail. That's really the cute. Toilet. It's very cute. <laughs> and that's the thing, I hadn't used this term either, but it's now become part oh, of the lingo. Yeah, That's really cute. Um, oh, gosh. Maybe a few. Few very wild ones. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it's just like okay. Actually, you know what? The funny thing in Baffin. So this is an island in the Arctic. Um, uh, it's right off the what, east east coast of uh, Canada, and largest island in the Arctic. And on this expedition, uh, yeah, like at camp, like as a woman. There's only four women amongst like 20 guys. So we would build ourselves like a little incy wincy wall. So we would sort of have some privacy. And then, but when you head out from camp, there's nowhere to hide. There's, there's not even rocks. It's just like you're in the open and you're surrounded and you're like, and that was the first time, I guess, I don't think I've ever been prude, but there's definitely like this, oh, well, this is what you do. You go hide behind a tree or this. But then you're like, all right, guys, I'm, I'm just going to take a piss ready. I'm just going to squat down and go. And uh, you just, yeah, you get over it. It's like we all do it. So I think that was probably my first truly, like, wild we. Love, Love it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Crystal, and no for worries. bearing with us. Yes. But we really appreciate it. It's been great chatting to you. No worries. Just good luck with the editing. <laughs> <laughs> do you want anybody to find you online? Just Google my name, I guess. Yeah, that was terrifying. I told Sarah as well. I'm like, I didn't realize Crystal was such a badass. So find Crystal anywhere (laughs) online (laughs) and she'll come up with a whole bunch of different ways to engage with her. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for listening to another episode of Into the Wee Hours podcast. To get in touch, you can find us on Instagram at Into the Wee Hours podcast or email us at into the wee hours podcast at gmail.com. Sarah is all the gear, nay idea, and that is N-A-E for all you non-Scots people. And Kristen is at Kristen Vaughton on Instagram. To read the show notes or to find out more about fast packing and bike packing workshops, visit into the wee hours.com or follow at into the wee hours on Instagram and Facebook. Happy adventuring and we'll talk to you next time.